0: Well, good morning. I know it's not morning, but um, I haven't greeted most of you yet today, so we'll start there.
1: It's morning
0: somewhere. (laughs) It's morning somewhere, that's right. Um, It's good to be here. Um, So, I'm Nathan Holland. Um, I've met probably most of you at some point or another. Um, Maybe a few of you I haven't met before. My Uh, Family and I are missionaries in Angola. We've been in Namibia for the past uh, couple years, but we're making a transition back to Angola. Um, uh, Eddie alluded to that in his prayer. I would really appreciate if you could pray for Umoyo. She's literally within, or potentially could be within days of getting a phone call telling her, that her interview will be like, you know, in a couple weeks. Um, And then once she has her interview, they'll do the like, you know, the civics and history test and and, uh, after that she'll be American. Um, She's on the expedited process so that we can get back to Angola. Um, So, we're, you know, this time next month she could be American. But we just don't know. I, for the next, this is the second week, so I've got this is five weeks including this one, we'll be talking about um, issues related to poverty um, and just what our role as Christians is in this world that we live in. We are among the richest people who have ever lived on the face of the earth. Uh, even the poorest among us have, a lot more than most people have had throughout history. Um, Some of the ideas I'll be talking about may be a little bit different from anything you've thought about before. And in order to give me credibility, I've done two things. Um, One, I'm wearing a jacket with elbow patches. (laughs) (laughs) I think if, if anyone has elbow patches, they must know what they're talking about. But the second is I want to like I don't expect everyone's going to read all these books, but I want you to know about them. Um, the I would say the main material, and I, I talked about these last week, but I know a lot of you weren't here. Um, the main content and the book that I would recommend the most is When Helping Hurts um, by Steve Corbett and Bri- Brian Fickert. Um, we'll be watching a short video uh, a little bit later on. Uh, and both of the authors of this book will appear in that video. It's, the videos are related to this book. Um, another book, really this book is kind of a summary of the material in this book, which is much more, um, it much meatier. This is the kind of book Baruch would read. <laughs> um, so this is the one I would recommend to Baruch. Um, Toxic Charity um, is actually Robert Lupton, the author of this book, will appear in the videos a few times. He talks a lot about the ways that we try to help often do more harm than, than they ought to and, and how to avoid that. And finally, Rich Christians in an Age of Hunger is a book that just really deals with our responsibility as Christians to a, a broken, hurting world. And I would recommend all of them. I don't expect most people will read all of them. If you're just going to get one, start with this one, though, when helping hurts. Um, you can find it at just about, <laughs> really, you can find any of these books, probably, except for maybe Bryant Myers, The Walking with the Poor. Yeah. Might be a Here bit harder to find.
2: Yeah. Three of them are available at the library. I, I just looked on, over, on
1: Overdrive ebooks. and okay. All the Walking
0: with the Poor. Yeah, this one's a little bit, it's not. It's a missiological, theological uh, publisher, so um, it's not going to be as easy to come by. Um, So last week we started with the question, what is poverty? And so um, for those of you who are here, do you remember I I asked us to write down some words, you know, just that we would associate with poverty? Can someone kind of give me a, or give everyone else a summary of kind of what we wrote up here when we asked this question, what is poverty? Anyone? Hopelessness. Huh? Hopelessness. Hopelessness. What Hopeless. else? Homeless. I think it
1: more had to do with what, what we looked at it as external things. If he will give you things and this will help your situation yeah. but when you were talking to them then it was a more of a um, 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 role worth right more internal.
0: so when we in the west uh you know kind of uh we the material materially rich uh, think about poverty we tend to think of poverty in terms of what you have or what you don't have the resources you have available to you the um i mean money uh, being one of them obviously but but also just the conditions of your house, the um, just external things that we, we look at a situation, we see people with less than what we have, and we see poverty, right? So then, um, oh, these slides are not in the order I thought they were. So let me, so this is a picture of Moises, Tasinga. this is Moises right here. He's a guy, uh, he says he's like 120 years old. I don't know how old he really is. But I, I wouldn't be surprised. <laughs> um, I, I would be surprised if he's still alive. But um, he, did anyone ever see The Gods Must Be Crazy? Yes. Yeah. yeah. Remember the, so just so you know, Bushman is not a politically correct term anymore. Um, it's, it's considered pretty derogatory. But... Um, the the San, S-A-N, people are the, what used to be called the Bushmen, the people who live on the fringes of society. Um, they speak with this click language. They've got like, I don't know, 16 different click noises that they make. And it's really, really bizarre. When you hear them talk, it sounds like, um, it just sounds really weird, like a typewriter or something. Um, and so I uh, had the the chance to visit Moises, and this is basically his extended family. Um, you know, most of you might remember we had a program for a while called Bibles for Angolans. Um, so you can see them holding up their Bibles. I would say it is, in terms of this is actually, technically this is in Namibia. This is right across the, the river. They're an Angolan family, they're, they're nomadic, so sometimes they're in Angola, sometimes they're in Namibia. I happen to catch them in, in Namibia. They may be in Angola right now. They just go wherever the cattle, and it just depends on where there's more uh, resources. So they travel around. You can see their houses, or you can kind of see a little bit of a house there. Everything they have is like they can take it down and move And, um, but I would say this is probably one of the poorest, uh, just in terms of materially poor people I've ever interacted with um, in my time in Angola and Namibia. They, um, by our terms, have very, very little. Um, So I was with, in the company of one of the local, we just say pastors, uh, In the U.S., we don't like to say pastor in the Church of Christ, but everywhere else in the world, we just say pastor. (laughs) So if that slips out, that's why. Um, I was with one of the local preachers or pastors, whatever you want to call them, um, and he wanted to take me to visit this family. He said we should get a big sack of cornmeal. So we went and bought a big sack of cornmeal, and we went and visited this uh, guy, Moises, Moisesh, actually, and his family. Um, and um, he came up to me and I had a bit of a conversation with him through translator. He does speak a little bit of Portuguese, but he mostly speaks uh, one of these San languages with all the clicks. And he just tells me just how worthless he is and how he, um, like, I... I don't know how many, how many ways you can come up to say, <laughs> Hey, <Evelyn. laughs> I don't know how many ways you can come up with to say, you know, I'm a worthless person. But he went on for about five minutes about, and he truly believed it. He really believed that he had no value. Um, he and his family have been, you know, just re- literally pushed around from place to place. Um, they they never owned anything other than their goats or, you know, whatever, they might have a little bit of cattle or something. Um, and, you know, I, we had this Bibles for Angolan's program. Uh, we gave them some Bibles. Um, I'm not sure how many of them could actually even read them, but we gave them some Bibles. I gave them a sack of food, and then we, um, we were there for a few hours and visited, and then we left. And I went by and I saw them another time, and he seemed pretty disappointed that I didn't bring another sack of flour or cornmeal. And, you know, I questioned. Okay, so I gave him a, a sack of cornmeal, but did I really help him? Okay, maybe he was able to feed his family a little bit better. For a little while, but did I address his real problem? What was his real problem, according to last week? His self-worth. his self-worth. By giving him that sack of flour, I actually helped to reinforce his his uh, perception that he has no value. I'm the one with value. I'm the one with c- coming with stuff and things and giving it to him, I'm reinforcing his his false idea that he has little or no value. And, um, you know, over the years, I've probably done a lot of that. You know, I, and it's it's not that I want to, you know, I'm not wanting to, Be hurtful in the way that I'm trying to help. You know, obviously I I want to help him. I want to help his family, but I don't know. What do you guys think going into that situation? How could I really help him address that underlying need?
1: Relationship.
0: Relationship.
1: I was going to say just dropping in. You can't really.
0: Yeah, I I think my uh, now of course as he's telling me just about how worthless he is and how, um, like, I I just can't even remember all the ways he said it. Of course, I, I said with my mouth, no, that's not true, but my actions kind of undermined what I said by coming in, giving him something, and then leaving, and not maintaining, and granted, Getting out to where this guy is it's not like I can just like stop by anytime. I, I actually have Stopped by three times uh, To see Moises and his family But it's not the sort of thing it like I had to go way out of my way to do so which like you said that actually helps to Just the fact that he knows how much trouble I went to just to come see him because I was passing by, probably did a little bit more to helping, addressing the, the real root of his problem than giving him a sack of flour of cornmeal. Um, it's complicated, there's, there's not an easy answer, but it's, and it's it's not that I was wrong to give him the cornmeal, but we have to think about what are we communicating by the way we, when we're trying to help, sometimes we're communicating more than what we actually realize. Um, these were uh, just, just kind of from last week, uh, Voices of the Poor was a book published back in the 2000, where they <coughs> interviewed about 60,000 uh, materially poor people in 60 different countries, um, asking them the question, what is poverty? And their answers are very different. They're much more have to do with this idea of a lack of self-worth, a lack of uh, status or importance, um, or the ability to actually have any control of their life or surroundings. Um, So as we are trying to help the poor, we need to consider some of these things. And that's what we talked about a little bit last week. But, you know, so the question last week is what is poverty? So this, this week we're going to deal with, okay, what what is the, not really the answer to the poverty, but how do we address, you know, when we find ourselves interacting with people in um, material poverty. Did you ever ask
1: him why he felt worthless?
0: Oh, it's <laughs> I it has to do with so during there there's multiple I, I could talk about it later, but yeah, I did. And um but basically just marginalization. Uh every, his entire life he and his family have just been pushed around and because that you know the government. Okay, we want this land now. You get out. You know that sort of thing, and just layers and layers and layers of things uh, that contribute to that. Um, so, what is our response to poverty? So, Bryant Myers, uh, yeah. a little picture of him there. He was actually one of my professors in graduate school, um, and he 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 made these videos that which is put me to sleep, like, you know, because it was like online, you know, so I had to watch these videos. He's, he's, he's quite knowledgeable, uh, but he just has that voice that just, oh. <laughs> but he says reconciliation. So reconciliation is the word that he would use when, when we're addressing poverty. What poverty is about is reconciliation. We talked about, well, let me read this. Reconciliation is about restoring relationships, just and right relationships with God, with self, self, with community, with the other, and with the environment. So our friends from the um, When Helping Hurts book have kind of simplified that. They took the other and combined it with just others in general. Um, But basically you have this model here. You've got the person in the middle. Every person has, inherently has a relationship with God, has a relationship with the rest of creation, with the environment, uh, with others, and the relationship with yourself or the perception of yourself, how you view yourself. And all of it really stems from, as Christians, we understand that it all has to do with our understanding, our relationship with God. If if that's broken, it can very easily affect all the other areas. Um, Non-believing uh, um, uh, theorists and stuff will say a lot of the same stuff. They just take God out of the equation. But um, Bryant Myers and the guys from With Helping Hurts want to recognize that when these relationships are broken uh, when your perception of yourself is like Moisésh you you don't see your own value then it's very hard to bring yourself or your family out of poverty you um, when you have uh, broken relationships with others with Um, creation with your environment you live in um, you know people who live in the slums they can't even um, plant their own food because the soil around them is just so entirely dirty and their water is polluted they can't drink it so many things can lead to but it's all about a broken relationship Um, and so these guys define it as a broken relationship between God, a broken relationship with God, with self, with others, and with creation. Um, This, I'm not gonna, you don't need to turn in your Bibles or anything, but um, this made me think of the story of the prodigal son. So the prodigal son, Uh, We all know the story. We've heard it so many times. Uh, He he runs off with his inheritance, um, basically tells his father, forget you, I just want what's owed me, and I'm going to go live my life up in another town. And he squanders everything, ends up uh, eventually destitute, uh, living with the pigs, which, you know, within that culture was a pretty nasty thing to do. His relationships were broken. His relationship with his father, his relationship with his community, if he's eating with pigs, he's not part of his community anymore. Um, His all, uh, he he even says, you know, he, he comes to his senses, and says, even though I'm not worthy of my father, maybe I can be one of his servants, right? So he starts to make his way back to his father, and how does his father respond? He runs out to greet him, like what 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 did his father communicate with his actions what Mm-hmm. Welcome, home. He, welcome home reconciliation <coughs> the father showed his son <coughs> that your, your perception about yourself that you are not worthy of me is wrong your perception or your um, broken relationship with your community doesn't matter anymore you're my son I'm going to put the you know the, the nice coat I'm going to kill mm-hmm. the fattened calf he, he throws a big party, welcomes him back into relationship with not only with himself, but with he, he restores those relationships. Um, of course, the, his brother didn't get it, but we won't get into that. Um, in Colossians, Paul talks about Christ, um, or actually he talks about how God, through Christ, um, was reconciling us back to God. In 2 Corinthians, Paul talks about how in the same way that God reconciled us back to himself, that we are to reconcile others back to God as well. Our responsibility as a church is reconciliation. That's what we are about. Uh, reconciliation is—it's um, something that's deeper than just giving a guy a bag of cornmeal. I—I I did very little, and I'm not—I'm not really like you know bashing myself if I lived closer and I could, you know, actually be among that community more often, I would try to do more to try and help reconcile this guy, Moises, his understanding of his relationship with God. Um, But what about the community? I mean, he's got a serious problem when the, the, the government and society around him is constantly pushing him around. If I'm going to reconcile him to, his community. What does that mean? Well, that might mean a little bit of, dare I say, political or um, not necessarily political, but you know, some social justice type action, like going and meeting with people and saying, you know, basically being a representative for a person who, according to, the, according to society, society is always confirming that Moisesh and his family have no value. So if for some reason I do have value and my words do mean something, maybe I should be using those words to help reconcile Moisesh to the community around him. I mean it's all very um <laughs> it can all be very complex. Every situation is different, but the point is that our work in the church is about reconciliation. Reconciliation is relational. And sometimes I think we're afraid of like who might actually show up in the building if we actually start reconciling people back to (laughs) it's um, I don't know. It's just something to think about. Does anyone have any thoughts so far?
2: Yeah, I mean, that's the challenge. I mean, reconciling, you're usually talking about somebody you already know, Mm -hmm. somebody who is or was once close to you, family, church, co-worker, Mm -hmm. something. But we're talking here about people we don't know from Adam, so
0: You
2: know, we're We're going out to look for people who life has not been fair to Mm -hmm. and try to bring them back to something and that's hard to do with total strangers.:
0: Yeah, and even though the whole <laughs> context isn't here, I, I think that's a big part of what Second Paul is talking about in Second Corinthians is uh, we're, we are Christ's ambassadors. you're ambassadors to people who are different from you, people that you don't know.
2: Well, take your
3: Moses mm-hmm. situation and put our homeless population mm-hmm. in, that, in that exactly the same situation. Itself. Right.
0: Jack and I went out with uh, Baruch on Sunday afternoon. To Where did we go, Jack? What, like, I, I don't know what to call that place. It's on the
3: Santa Fe Trail.
0: Santa Fe Trail. Okay. Yeah, and s- saw where a lot of the people living in tents and, um, you know, I, what, I, I wish I remembered his name now. Who is the guy that was so happy and so Bobby. blessed? What? Bobby. Bobby. Yeah. No, I, I just, like, there's part of me that just wants to go back and spend some time with Bobby again. He was just uh, one of the most uh, cheerful, content, um, or at least that was the vibe he was trying to give us. I don't know what his life is really like. Um but yeah, you don't have to go to Angola or to, you know, Central America or you, know, you can just go to the Santa Fe Trail and you'll see some, some real poverty, some material poverty. Um, so let's, um, a- any other thoughts real quick before uh, we'll, we'll watch the video and then we'll talk a little bit more. Yeah, the idea of uh, looking on
3: your life day by day as anyone you see God was willing to reconcile.
0: Mm-hmm. You can't have
3: to think about what am I like to be one who would reconcile? Of us. We can't control other people, but uh, am I part of the problem or am I a someone who attracts them? Mm-hmm. Which is the idea
0: of having a reconciliation, uh, reconciliatory uh, task. Right. It's kind of shocking. In yeah. Way. And so the thing is, is poverty relief and reconciliation, they can go together, but sometimes they can actually work against each other. And so it's it's a complex issue. So it's not like I can just tell you here's the answers for every situation because, I mean, what is reconciliation? It's a relationship. Every relationship has its own dynamics, its own issues.
4: Yeah. Just recently on uh, Netflix, there is a movie called the same, same kind is different as me. Yeah. And uh, to me, that that was an eye opener for me. That the very thing that you're talking about. In fact, just the fact that you were talking about reconciliation, I just, I, all of a sudden, I have a different perspective on that movie because mm-hmm. you saw where a couple. That's exactly what they were all about. Mm-hmm. Was not not just not just feeding but to get into the life of, of each one of them mm-hmm. so yeah good movie yeah I've, I've seen that
0: there like on Netflix but I haven't actually watched it I'll have to check that out okay so we'll watch it it's about a 10 minute um, video here I can figure out where my mouse there we go.
5: When I was in college, I took a class um, called Christ and Culture, and as part of that, we looked at the issue of how God sees poverty, and we read a book called Rich Christians in an Age of Hunger by Ron Sider, and for just a whole generation of us, that's the book God used to really stir us for God's unmistakable passion for the poor, so that you couldn't say, should I care about the poor or not? That was a given. As a Christian, you have to. Then you just ask the question, how can I best be part of this. How can I best help? Opportunity um, came along with a, an organization called Food for the Hungry. And so we joined them in something called the Hunger Corps, it's kind of a Christian version of the Peace Corps. Um, I have a background in agriculture a bit, big kind of a dairy farm background in Vermont. I've you know, nutrition and social work background. And so we worked overseas for a number of years, came back, um, and then end up getting back more deeply involved with so the summary. Really, that's what I spent most of my life um with in the work of Christianity. Is that they're just gonna
3: have at that moment that Peter makes that deposit, they're going to have liabilities of a thousand dollars, but they're gonna have I thought I was on trajectory to be involved in sort of global policy work. I wanted to work at something called the World Bank, which was set at the end of World War II, to affect policy, global economic policy, all over the world. But a couple of things happened. Um, I was studying India at the time, and the idea that that there wasn't a spiritual dimension to people was ridiculous to me, because the fact that I was only allowed to think of human beings as material beings, and not as spiritual beings, made no sense to me. And I watched how our church ministered to people who were poor, and they made a similar mistake to economists. So economists were reducing human beings to be material. My church was reducing human beings to being spiritual. The part of
5: my role for many years in feeding the hungry was the director of training for our staff around the world, and, and that just I had the blessings of having a job that explore kind of what is good Christian community development and how to go about it and how to communicate that to, to our staff and these ideas kind of bubbled up and kind of put together the ideas the tools um, they're not buying an eye they're, they're, they're a larger world of, of people who've worked hard and, and and labored hard to understand how they really love the poor I mean you can't you can't look at the word of God and not see God's incredible care for the poor I'm just going to keep driving me. God cares. I have to care. It's just a passion that can't be put out.
3: I gave you some examples of people from the majority world of Africa, Asia, and Latin America. I want to introduce you to one more people group. See if you can guess who this people group is that is suffering from broken relationships. This group denies God's existence, or acts as though he's irrelevant. This group has a broken relationship with creation. They're not typically lazy. They're actually known for being workaholics. This group is notorious for its self-centeredness. They often don't even know the name of the person who's living across the street. This group also has a broken relationship with self, it's not typically a marred self-image, it's rather a sense of pride or superiority. Some have called it a God complex, argue that this people group thinks that they are uniquely anointed by God to bring their superior culture and wisdom to save the rest of the world. Any idea who this people group is? It's us. You see, folks, the way that we are broken bubbles up differently from the way that most materially poor people are broken. Yes, poverty is. I say relationships that don't
5: work. But they don't just not work for the material poor, they don't work for the material rich as well. So when we think about poverty and being of the material rich, that's not thinking less than. We often think more of ourselves. We think we can do and solve and fix everything.
1: We tend to think that if we've gotten a little education or if we've got a little money in the bank, society has affirmed that we are somebody. I think the most difficult part is that on both ends, both for the helpers and the ones that need the help, um, we've just been steeped in a society that values and judges people based on what they have, Um, and what they've accomplished. And so we're always going to be fighting, falling back into this default mode of um, they need me, they need what I know, they need what I have.
3: Folks, do you understand that to be a workaholic is as much sin as laziness is a sin? But in our culture, there's a reward for being a workaholic. The feedback messages in our culture to the workaholic are well done.
5: Do more. Um, in our Western civilization we're so individualistic. We think so much about self and self-realization and self-success. And we're just pushed to become all we can be and it becomes a consuming passion. And we forget about considers others' interests more important than your own. We think about our stewarding of creation and our taking dominion, yeah, we do that, but for what purpose? So we can consume so we just have more, play more, laugh more. That's what it means to have dominion over creation. And honestly, if you look at all this, who needs God? Our relationship is broken in the West with God because we think he's either non-existent or he is not relevant to our day-to-day lives. And that is a set of relationships that don't work. That's poverty.
3: here is put these four relationships together and then the ways that the materially poor tend to experience those broken relationships are on the top and the ways that we tend to experience those broken relationships are on the bottom. We're all fundamentally broken. But I want to point your attention right now to this particular relationship, one's relationship with themselves. Because the way that we are broken and the way that the materially poor are broken is a bad mix. Because when people have a sense of pride, when people have a sense of superiority, interact with people who have a sense of shame and inferiority, the way that we speak to them, the way that we treat them, the things that we do, yes, in the process of trying to help them, Confirm in them that, in fact, they are inferior. Confirm in them that, in fact, they can't do anything. Confirm in them the shame they're already feeling. And as that happens, they become more passive. They start to sit back and say, I knew I couldn't do it. I knew I needed something to save me. When you have a poverty of spirit, you your hope Diminishes your sense of confidence, erodes, and you begin to believe that for you there is no way out. It's what uh, it's what I would call conditioned hopelessness. It is very hard to beg. You know, when, if I come to you to ask for things,
2: I've got to calm down. I've got to explain. If you can help
5: me with 100 shillings, you know, my child is sick, you know, I'm so badly... I mean,
3: I wouldn't want to do
5: that. Go back to what's the issue, Goes back to what's poverty again. Poverty's not just fixing the outside circumstances or outside things. It's, it's helping them discover they are an image bearer, have a tremendous value as a human being. They are called to be stewards of their resources and opportunities.
3: And as they become more passive, as they start to sit back, we start to get more proud. I knew they were lazy. I knew they were good for nothing. I knew they didn't have the sense of work that I have and our sense of pride is enhanced. It's a bad mix. We must walk humbly with the materially poor as Jesus Christ transforms both of us. Poverty alleviation isn't so much about me being up here and them being down here and me going and fixing them. It's more about walking side by side. It's more about walking hand in hand and saying, I'm broken. You're broken. But Jesus Christ can show up and bring healing to both of us. Folks, if poverty is rooted in broken relationships then poverty alleviation is about reconciling relationships. To reconcile means to restore, to put in right relationship again. What Colossians 1 teaches is that that's what Jesus Christ is all about. He is bringing restoration, reconciliation, <coughs> healing as far as the curse is found. Poverty alleviation is a process in which people, both materially poor and non-poor, both parties, move closer to living in right relationship with God, with self, with others, and the rest of creation. One of the things that grieves me most about poverty alleviation work, both in the United States and around the world, is that most people who are working amongst the poor have no connection to the local church, and the local church has no connection to their work. The church is grand central station for the kingdom of God. The church is the primary manifestation of the kingdom of God. And Christ is the one who alleviates poverty. What I'm saying to you is kind of strange. The poor need access to the Lord's Supper. The poor need access to prayer. The poor need access to fellowship. The poor need access to preaching. The poor need access to the body. Are your churches
1: accessible? to the materially poor in your
0: communities. Thoughts? (laughs) Ouch.
3: But it is interesting that uh, on at least two occasions, we found that Jesus fed four and five thousand.
0: Mm Mm-hmm. Yeah. So Jesus did alleviate hunger, but when you read what he preached as well, so much of it, like when you read the the uh, the Sermon on the Mount, a lot of it really has to do with healing those broken relationships. You know, so it's they, the, the two of them went together. Um, he didn't just feel sorry for the, the crowd of 5,000 people, which was probably more than, more than that even, but, um, and feed them because he felt sorry for them, even though I'm sure probably, he probably did feel sorry for them. You poor guys have been listening to me for hours, and you know they're probably going to you know, start wondering off if I don't do something about it. But, um, but his message was all about reconciling people to God. The he two did, go together.
1: He, did, he, he didn't feed them because they were poor. Right. In, in material things, he fed them because they were there to hear and learn how to be better in spirit. Yeah. So and been,
0: Jesus could have done a lot of stuff that he didn't do. In fact, a lot of times he was running away from the crowds because they wanted healing. They wanted... And he, he had to <laughs> Escape. And um, so, you know, obviously this doesn't mean that we just um, forget, you know, we we just focus on what uh, Brian Fickert, the guy talking there, was talking about the, you know, economists see people (laughs) only materially, but then the church, often we only see them spiritually. Like both have got to be, have got to go together. Um, I want to look at, uh, one of the things he talked about in, uh, he had the, like the eight little bubble things, you know, with the, the poverty of self, the God complexes that we, we tend to have, and then the, um, the feelings of inferiority. So if you put this into this, like, you know, formula, uh, sort of thing, what, what do you think about that? So the, the material definition of poverty, understanding poverty as a lack of material things, plus our, you know, here in the West, our perception that we have all the answers, that we can fix anything, uh, combined with the materially poor people's perception that they don't have control they don't have worth, they don't have value, or they have some sort of inferiority. When you mix those three together, you end up doing harm both to those who are materially poor as well as harm to ourselves because we've just got the wrong attitude, the wrong, um, we're, I think God God complex is a good way to describe it because it's, we're kind of putting ourselves in the position that only God should be in. What Any thoughts about that?
1: Well, I think it is like re- relationship, because I can remember when I was in college, our, our church Bible chair decided to take turkeys to a bunch of places where people were in poverty. And, um, and our kind of thinking was, oh, you know, we're doing a really good job here. We're being good. And we went to these people's houses. And there were several places that we went that they actually were pretty mad that we showed up. And, and they took the stuff, but they, mm-hmm. but they wanted us out of there as fast as possible. You know, they didn't want a relationship. Mm-hmm. And that, but the thing is, that was like one time, that one year, we came, we didn't have a relationship with those people. We just dropped in on them, mm-hmm. dropped the goods, and then we were going to go home and never see them again. Mm-hmm. And they knew we were never going to come back and see them again. Mm-hmm. And I think that's that idea of having a relationship is important.
0: Mm-hmm.
4: I, I'm just going to bring up that movie one more time. Okay. Yeah, <laughs> because it's a good illustration. Uh, the couple goes to feed in one of these places like the Marion House, yeah. Mm-hmm. And uh, but but the uh, the wife wanted to get to know these people, and so she. She said, my name is so-and-so. What's your name? And she was wanting to know everybody's name. There was one guy that just, he he just hated the whole idea. But anyway, they finally broke through with him. And he just, the man, the husband, decided to take him to coffee. And so they went to coffee. And they're sitting across the table from one another. And he says to this fellow that's homeless, he said, I w- don't you understand. I want to be your friend. Mm-hmm. And he says, "Wait a minute." He said, "Tell me why you white folks throw go fishing and you throw away the fish."
0: Mm-hmm. He
4: said, "We we we don't. When we go fishing, we never throw away the fish." And he said, "If you're going to be my friend, I don't want you to throw me away." Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And he said, "I'll be your friend if you're not a throwaway man." Yeah.
0: <laughs> No, I think that's that's a powerful illustration because I think a lot of materially poor people have, in a sense, a wall because the way that, you know, aid organizations have come in, you know, wh- the the World Bank, the UNHCR, like all these different, like, non-governmental organizations or whatever they might be, they come in, they they bring food, they bring, you know, whatever it is, but there's no relational aspect to it. And and I think a lot of people have actually built a wall, and I, I've certainly sensed that living in Angola, that it's like at some point people will realize, wait a minute, Nathan, you're actually my friend. Like, right. what, <laughs> where did that come from? You know, I'm not used to, you know, these white people coming over and, you know, uh, caring about me just because I'm me. You know, it's usually uh, I'm, I'm their project.
2: Yeah, it's, I mean, I think what we keep hearing is it's too easy to dip in and out. Mm-hmm. You know, with people you know, if you dip in and out of their lives and you're not there for them, they go away. Mm-hmm. Family or friends, they eventually, you know, are out of your life. Yeah. And we're trying to do this with people we don't even know. Mm-hmm. And they're tired of being dipped in on and then you disappear. Yeah. And the challenge for us is to figure out how to not do that. Yeah. And it's hard because it takes a lot of time. Yeah. I wish I
0: had the answer, Teddy. So I understand the equation there. I'm just curious what you'd say about
2: how how that equation brings harm to the uh, materially non-four. That's me. That's us.
0: Yeah. No, I, I think the the harm that it brings to us is it it confirms the God complexes that, that we yeah. we already have yeah. and. I I mean, I know, let me tell you, since I married an African, um, I've never been, you know, since that time, have not been more aware of the God complex <laughs> that I often have, because she'll tell me about it. <laughs> and, you know, it, it's actually been very helpful to me to have someone who who loves me and who tell will tell me, you know, hey, Nathan, you're being, You know, like, the way you were talking about those people, not, you know, not really behind their backs, but just the way you were talking about those people is um, not, yeah, prideful. Or, you know, know, that was really racist what you just said. (laughs) You know, that sort of thing. But it's helpful to have someone like her that when she tells me these things, I know it's out of love and you know so it's been very good for me uh, to be able to um, but she will point out my white white savior complex to me whenever it rears its ugly head and um, like I just think about the time before I was married you know working in Angola as a single missionary um, I had and not that I still don't have a white savior complex but rears its ugly head occasionally, but um, it was a lot more prominent before (laughs) I married an African who constantly points it out for me.
2: I think that's one of the challenges, Eddie, is that just seeing that it's a problem in the first place. Um, I found this this quote, he says,
3: the white savior industrial complex is not not about justice, it is about having a big emotional experience that validates privilege. Uh So you go and do these things and it feels good.
0: Mm-hmm. Someone
2: out, and I think you have to get past that.
0: Yeah, like I, I, I looked up White Savior Complex on Google. These are some of the images that come up um, in Google search when you search for White Savior Complex. And what are they? They're you know these white probably Americans going to Africa and you know taking pictures with the children. And um, it was interesting. I was talking to Megan Hawley today. And she was talking about how she she doesn't let, like they've got the orphanage there. She she doesn't let anyone in. Like it's, And it's partly because she's trying to protect from this dynamic. Um, yeah
3: go won't ahead. let you take a camera. You're, yeah. go, you're not going to yeah. go in there. And you yeah. don't
2: go in and start interviewing. Right. Mm-hmm. I guess my other thought is, and it's a hard term to hear. We don't like to hear that we don't think it's true about ourselves. It's Mm -hmm. certainly not usually intentional. Mm -hmm. But if we're honest with ourselves, it does happen. Mm -hmm. At one point or another, you know,